0: You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 314th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 972nd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded here on the evening of October 26th, 2023. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And
1: Indiana is a national... The the National
0: this week's Banner Moment occurred on Tuesday night when the NBA season tipped off with seven former Hoosiers on NBA rosters. O.G. Ananobi is currently the best of the bunch, still in Toronto with the Raptors despite plenty of trade rumors. Eric Gordon is the grizzled vet, entering his 15th NBA season as a member of the revamped Phoenix Suns. Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen hood Shafino, of course, are the newbies, both having been selected in the most recent draft by the Warriors and Lakers, respectively, and both impressing their new teams with their play in training camp and preseason action. Rounding out the list of IU players in the NBA is a trio of Tom Crean players, Cody Zeller with the Pelicans, the recently traded and presently rehabbing Victor Oladipo with the Rockets, and Thomas Bryant, one of the newest members of Heat Culture in Miami. Unfortunately, Romeo Langford did not make it through training camp with an NBA spot as he was cut by the Jazz and has yet to sign anywhere else. Now, Indiana's list of present NBA players is much more extensive than their Big Ten rivals like Purdue and Illinois, and it compares favorably with other conference foes like Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State, who each have at least five or more current NBA players. And this matters for two reasons. First, it's exciting to see all these guys who we cheered so hard for when they were wearing the cream and crimson carving out successful and highly lucrative NBA careers for themselves. Each of those eight players, including Romeo, has already made life-changing money. Secondly, Indiana's growing list of NBA players and their different paths and roles is a useful recruiting tool that Mike Woodson and his staff can use with the highly ranked players they're going after, all of whom obviously have dreams of playing in the NBA someday, usually sooner rather than later. Each player is both an example of what coming to Indiana can mean for a player's professional future, and each player is also a story that can be tailored to the particulars of any recruitment. Recruiting a lead guard? Talk about Jalen. Recruiting a shooting challenge big? Talk about Trace. Recruiting a floor spacing big? Talk about TB. Recruiting an under-the-radar athlete? Tell him about OG. And on and on. As schools like Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, and others have proven, having a proven track record of helping players achieve their NBA dreams can be just as important, and sometimes even more important, than even recent on-court success in attracting top talent. The bottom line that we all know is that recruiting in the circles where Indiana wants to recruit requires having as few holes as possible in your overall recruiting pitch. So while Mike Woodson and the Hoosiers need to keep improving the on-court success to stay top of mind with the best recruits, It's also helpful to keep compiling as many individual examples and stories of NBA success as possible. The more of those that IU staff has at its disposal, the more effective their messaging will be on the recruiting trail. Okay, now let me introduce my co-host this week. Ryan is off, but here with me, ladies and gentlemen, he is the Connor Stallions of girls youth sports coaching in Cincinnati, standing over there to the side with binoculars, stealing your signs. He's the president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club and a bracketologist who looms over all others like he's Victor Wimbanyama.
1: The best of you sports coaching, you know that we got them. When it comes to analytic trends, you know he can spot them. For first class bracketology, you want the top, you gotta go bottom If you want the top, you gotta go bottom Bottoms.
0: If you want the top, Andy, bottom. what is your bottom's line on the last week in Indiana basketball?
2: I mean, that's quite an accusation. Although I don't think I won enough to be uh, accused of cheating. So <laughs> probably, probably story, in the probably in the clear on there uh, on that one. But uh, now, I mean, it's just just exciting. It's finally uh, almost here to be able to actually see this team play and uh, start to get the answers to some of our uh, off-season questions that we've been uh, batting around for the better part of. Uh, six months at this point, probably longer, uh, if you really think about it, but, um, so excited to see, you know, at least the early signs of what's there. And you will talk more about, you know, maybe things to focus on and not focus on from the exhibition game, (coughs) excuse me, um, (coughs) but excited to see what they, uh, what
0: they can do. (laughs) and he's in midseason form here in late october okay let's uh let's jump in and save him coach because that is what a good co-host would do here with us a longtime high school basketball coach in the state of indiana the founder of delphi bracketology and a man who knows how to celebrate a big win in your rival's home gym that's right ladies and gentlemen it's the coach
1: he remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar heaven help you decide to pop your collar. Play hard, but remember fake hustle is a crime.
0: He's the coaching in Tonsoni time. Coaching is tonsoni time. What's on your mind? Hopefully you can
1: say it. Yeah, college basketball. Uh college basketball's back. In particular, the Hoosiers will be taking the floor in less than 72 hours and start to answer some of those questions that we've been pondering over. Uh, the whole off season, but just college basketball in general. Uh, I was able to go out in a golf course. I went by myself the other day and I I turned on all the podcast previews and played it in a cart as I was going through uh, 18 holes, just getting getting every ounce of content that I possibly can uh, before the season uh, gets started. We have our Bracketology Club uh, meeting got started. So just a lot of good things happening uh, as college basketball uh, starts and tips off here, November 6th. And, and then the exhibitions beforehand, just, just, uh, yeah, just very excited. Kind of choked up like Andy. <laughs> Would you shoot uh, a lot? <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I'll keep the score to myself. I got my money's worth. That's good.
0: That's good. Got your money's worth. Um, All right. So here's what we have in store for you this week. We're going to go through some Hoosier headlines. Obviously, that will include uh, some recruiting updates. And then in segment two, we're going to talk about how to approach exhibition games. We have, what, 12 seasons now of doing post-game shows after exhibition games and kind of figuring out what you actually learn and the many things that you don't. Uh, And so just kind of a guide for how to pay attention and how to watch on Friday or on Sunday when that first exhibition games comes first exhibition game comes and then in segment three we have a bunch of questions including some leftovers from last week that we'll get in our mailbag segment all of that coming this week on assembly car radio but first let's talk about our presenting sponsor home field apparel, well for the team. yes ladies and gentlemen this edition of assembly car radio just like all shows on the home network It's The Back Home Network, just to be clear, presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you will find anywhere. And I tell you what, it is crunch time now. It is time to bust out your Home Field Apparel. It's going to be men's basketball games, women's basketball games, so many occasions now throughout the week to be wearing your IU stuff from Home Field Apparel And it's not just IU stuff. As you know by now, they have something for everybody. Just over the last couple weeks, they've released like 30 or 40 new bomber jackets and just some incredible color combinations. The UCLA one looks absolutely beautiful. There's several other ones that just the colors just pop off the screen. And so as you start looking forward and you start thinking about, hey, maybe I should plan ahead for Christmas shopping. I mean, you can almost knock out your entire list just at home field apparel. People will be getting high quality stuff it'll be really unique a lot of times it's a conversation starter because the logo is something that people haven't seen and there's a cool story behind it and homefield apparel they're so they just love college sports so much that you go to their website and like every item is a history lesson and you get to you know learn what's unique about that school what made that particular logo unique And that, to me, is what we love just about the ethos of Home Field Apparel is they love and appreciate college sports just like we do. So make sure that you go there, homefieldapparel.com. You can use our promo code HOME23 and get 15% off your first order. That's promo code HOME23 for 15% off. Again, the website, Home Field Apparel, wear one for the team. All right, let's dive into Hoosier Headlines. Uh, Andy, I'll go to you first. Uh, as we promote our friends at the Back Home Network doing the work. Uh, They continued their uh, off-season preview. They've been going through some of the other Big Ten teams. And this week, spent some time focusing on our team, Uh, Indiana, kind of doing some predictions. And they had a very special guest on that episode, the great Andy Bottoms. You want to give a quick plug for what you guys talked about and why people should go pop over to doing the work, subscribe, and listen?
2: yeah it was a, it was a good conversation. We ended up talking for uh, a while. We joked that it was a little bit longer than some of their typical shows at the end and i I had joked that I thought it would not be as long and that you know the common thread between the longer shows uh was me at this point so uh but anyway had had a lot of good conversation about uh about the team and kind of went player by player for some of the key returnees uh, made some predictions on the season but uh overall just a, a good conversation good a team to get excited about with. Uh, you know, maybe fewer questions in the men's team, one big hole to fill, uh, obviously with Grace Berger being gone, but uh, a lot of a lot of potential candidates to fill that and uh, some exciting new faces as well. So it was a good conversation, good way to get excited about the women's season. Uh, I had to do a little bit of homework, so it helped me get, you know, kind of familiar with their schedule and a few of the other teams in the Big Ten. And uh, it was a it was a great time with uh, with Jeff and Kathy. So appreciate them having me on.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, you know you can get their content on our YouTube page. Uh, we all share the same YouTube page, and then if you know wherever you listen to podcasts, search for "Doing the Work," you will find them. I mean, the one of the best parts about just the emergence of the women's basketball program now is how much coverage there is. I mean, we have two shows just on the Back Home Network between "Doing the Work" and then Amanda Foster's show that she hosts within the Crimson Cast feed. So. Lots of coverage. You know, we all loved watching that team play last season. We're going to love watching them again. Uh, and so get your, uh, your IU women's basketball talk uh, from our friends doing the work. Uh and then I just want to plug we got some new stuff coming. Um you know if you're in the private community we had a great discussion last night about our impending move to Substack. Um and you can find our Substack at assemblycall.substack.com. We have a lot of big plans for what we're going to do over there. We're still kind of in like mid-launch phase. We're very much just building out in public. Uh but you can go over there, you can subscribe. If you're already on our email list, we are porting your email address over there so you'll continue to get all the emails just like normal they'll just look a little bit different. Uh, and you know, if you want to visit their online home, it will look a little bit different because it's at Substack. But so many new features that I think are really going to enhance our ability to interact, to converse, uh, and hopefully to bring some new people you know, into our sphere uh, to make uh, our, our conversation this season even more fun. So you can check that out at assemblycall.com slash uh, stug, assemblycall.substack.com. There we go. Let me uh, I will get that right here uh, as we move forward. Um, okay, gentlemen, let's talk about recruiting. Uh, Coach, as you and I talked a little bit about over on Substack today, one of the reasons I'm always excited for the season to start, you know, in addition to being able to see the games and have those to talk about, I'm kind of always glad when the recruiting talk comes to an end. Uh, It's a bit of a necessary evil, and we do it, and we like the commitment shows, but sometimes following all the machinations of each recruitment, you know, can get a little bit uh, overwhelming by the end of the offseason. You know, we've obviously been tracking these three big recruitments, Liam McNeely, Boogie Fland, and Derek Queen. Liam McNeely obviously committed to Indiana. Boogie Fland went to Kentucky, and so now we have Derek Queen as the, the guy that's left. Uh, I know a new name popped up on the radar today who could reclassify, but you know we'll wait and see uh, if and when he takes his official visit. But Queen is the focus, and he took his final official visit to Maryland. Uh, word broke early in the week that he was going to commit on Friday, and then he put out word that he wasn't. And so there is not expected to be a commitment uh, in the near term, but it does appear like Indiana has a legit shot in this recruitment. Along with Maryland, Houston appears to at least be in there. uh, Although... You know, by what I've been told, they're, you know, running behind Maryland and Indiana. Um, but who knows? You know, right now, we know that Indiana's got a shot. We know that Leah McNeely and his mom are actively recruiting Derek on Twitter and on social media. Uh, I feel like every time I log on, there's a new tweet from the two of them telling Derek to stay home or don't go backwards or, you know, all the different messages they're sending. Um, so as we round into the the true final final stretch here uh, for at least the fall uh, high school recruiting period for Indiana, how are you approaching uh, the wait for Derek Queen's commitment
1: or announcement? I'm not. I guess we should say um, I'm not. I'm trying to get back to the old coach where I worry about them once they've signed, you know, like Liam says, he's coming to Indiana now I'll put everything in a study in Liam and what he could do for it, for the basketball program. You get caught up because these names, if they do come to Indiana are exciting pieces, but when you get too caught up, then your expectations, uh, rise. And then when they choose uh, another school, then you get disappointed and, and really Uh, you know, that happens quite a bit. Uh, We beat out Kansas twice, and yet Kansas is still alive, the number one team. So it's not the end of the world when one of these top-notch. So I'm trying just to focus on Sunday's basketball game, and we're going to talk about that in segment two. And when you start rolling games out every three or four days, then the recruiting stuff will take care uh, of itself. Uh, The the coaching staff has done a good job. The the, the only criticism one might be able to find is when you – you cast such a small net on some of these top stars, uh, what, what's the backup plan and it's gotta be the portal. Uh, and I think they trust themselves in the portal. We'll see how that plays out this year. And, and you got to trust the staff in all of that. All of that is new for us, uh, fans in the last two years, uh, with relying on the portal. But as long as you get a five-star here, five-star there every year, you're getting these good players, and then you get some foundation pieces like the CJ gun and the Gabe cups. I, I don't think you have to hit five, five stars or three, five stars. I think we all get kind of wrapped up in that a little bit, uh, too much I, myself included. So I'm trying to back up a little bit and, and focus on my team is on the floor. Uh, let's evaluate the the guys that are here. We'll evaluate them once they commit or they do not commit.
0: Yep. So, look, we'll keep you posted when there's news. Obviously, if Derek Queen chooses to come to Indiana, we will have you know, an emergency podcast breaking down his game because it he has a fun game, and it'll be a fun one to break down if he's going to be a Hoosier. Uh, but that's kind of where that stands. Um, so it looks like there probably won't be any movement on it for at least a week or two in terms of an announcement. Andy, I loved seeing this next story that we're going to talk about. Indiana is going to honor the great Bill Garrett at the season opener against Florida Gulf Coast. I believe that is on November 7th. Uh, Tuesday is when the season opener will happen. It is the 75th anniversary of Bill Garrett breaking the Big Ten's unofficial color barrier when he started the season opening game on December 4th, 1948. Uh, You know, a lot of you know the story of Bill Garrett. If you don't know the story of Bill Garrett, I highly recommend it. It's definitely one of the great stories uh, in the history of Indiana basketball, not just at IU, but Bill Garrett was a great player at Shelbyville uh, and then, you know, a great player at Indiana. And his presence as a Hoosier, you know, wasn't just as, you know, a token of breaking the color barrier. Bill Garrett was an outstanding player. He left school as the all-time leading scorer. You know, was a Big Ten MVP. I mean, he really left a mark on this university, not just in terms of what he represented from a societal perspective, but by being one of the best players who has ever played here. Uh, and so obviously there's the statue of Bill Garrett and Branch McCracken in assembly hall. Every time I go to assembly hall, it's definitely a place that I stop and, you know, just kind of reflect on that history, uh, which is so important and which is something that I think every Indiana fan can really be proud of. So, uh, I was just very, very excited to see that it's the Bill Garrett game. Uh, and, uh, I think it's a great honor, uh, by Indiana to do that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I know that's a a story I didn't know all that well, uh, until you know some point after we were doing the show uh had gotten into some conversation about it um and and so just a a really uh interesting story not only about you know his history but also some of the you know general things of uh a, you know herman b wells and, and iu history in it um getting open is what the the book is called i had to look up what that was so yep. uh, if you want to learn more it's a good good opportunity to do that but uh yeah a really really cool thing to commemorate. Uh, I know Mike Woodson had a a short video kind of talking a little bit about that. Um, And so uh, certainly uh, an exciting, uh, exciting addition to uh, already the excitement of the season starting. So uh, really, really cool that I use doing that 75 years uh, to to commemorate that as, as we, uh, as we go. So really, uh, really excited to see that. And um, I don't know if I I know he had uh, like a grandson, I think that played at DePaul for a while. And I feel like he had some relative who was in coaching in, in some capacity. I'm not sure if that's still the case anymore or not, but, uh, but anyway, so I imagine some yeah. of his family will be there to attend as well. And, uh, a really cool thing for them as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just an awesome, awesome moment. Um, all right. And then the last story, obviously McKenzie and Baco, we all woke up Sunday morning. Was it Sunday morning or Saturday morning? I think it was Sunday morning, Sunday morning. Uh, yeah. To the news, uh, that McKenzie had been arrested. Um, and so we finally got word, um, Uh, yesterday or earlier today, whatever it was, the days are all running together uh, for me. Um, But he, McKenzie will face one charge of criminal trespass, the original charge of resisting arrest. Uh, He will not be charged. That is a class A misdemeanor. Typically this is handled with some kind of fine, you know, maybe community service or pretrial program, something like that. Um, You know, but certainly uh, anyone's worst fears when you wake up and, you know, you see that headline that Indiana player uh, has been arrested you know, all in all, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, something that you don't want to have a headline that you don't want to have, and I'm sure Indiana Mike Woodson uh, will deal with it in their own way internally. But at least from a legal standpoint, it is a relatively minor infraction. And so, you know, coach, the way that I look at this, I mean, obviously, we got the police report. I think we can all agree that police report, you know, includes some details that, you know, kind of make you go, hmm, and you kind of would like to know a little bit more of the context. We don't have any of that context, so we can just go off of what we know, um, you know. And so, to me, I just I take their, uh, you know, decision only to press the one charge, and we move forward with it, and whatever punishment Mike Woodson does or does not choose to, uh, you know, to make, you know, I trust that he understands the full context, and that's fine with me. Um, and so, unless we get some other kind of information about it. I just don't know if there's really a whole lot else to say about the situation. You know, obviously you just hope that, you know, Mackenzie handles it in the best way possible, is able to move forward with it, um, as a person and as a team. Um, and that, you know, if there's an important lesson to be learned, that it is learned and we all move on. Do you have anything else to, to comment Man, on, on that particular the, the story? The thing
1: from, a, um, no, nah, the the thing from a basketball standpoint is now this is just a point for him to move on, and that's what you watch. Um, uh, you know, whatever happened, uh, the decision, right, wrong, indifferent, uh, you know, all the stuff that everyone thought about this or that came out on on, um, but he has a chance to write the ship and play basketball and be, uh, you know, a contributor to this program. That's the important thing for the young man is to not have a repeat, uh. Uh, of anything like this or being able to handle adversity on the basketball court. I think those questions are fair now to to just watch. Um, but as a scope, it could have been a whole lot worse. There there really wasn't any major endangerment of other people. And then you got to trust the coaching staff to handle the discipline. I know some people want to talk about this amount of punishment or this or that, but uh, we've seen Coach Woodson have a couple different Ways of going about things uh, from the Northwestern game to, to Xavier Johnson's situation coming back. Just trust Coach Woodson. He's going to do what's right. He's going to help the young man be better as a person. And that's ultimately the goal that we all have. Uh, obviously, we, we want him to score some baskets down the road, but better. Just be a better, better person. Put yourself in better situations. Coach Woodson and staff are definitely working on that. After that, this conversation, let's move on to basketball and, and let that take, take care of itself, really yep yep that's where i am at with it too
0: okay coming up on assembly call radio we have actual basketball to watch this weekend the first of indiana's two exhibition games what's the best way to watch these games and try to learn something about our hoosiers we are going to discuss that next stick with us here on the assembly call All right. Hello, everybody here live. Great to see you. Hey coach, you may want to bump your audio up a little bit. It was okay. I thought it was a little bit low. I don't know if anybody else noticed that, but it sounded a little low to me. A little bit low. So yes, uh check us out at assemblycall.substack.com. I've got to get used to that. It's possible we may change the URL, assemblycall.com, to go directly there, but we're not doing that yet. But you can check us out on Substack. Obviously, our friends at Crimson Cast. Have a Substack, Taylor Lehman at Bite Size Bison, Scott Agnes with the Fieldhouse Files. So there's a lot of really good content, kind of in and around Indiana basketball and Indiana sports, already there. Um, and so I think it it really makes sense as a place if you're looking for an alternative to Twitter, um, you know, a place to go interact in a more serious way <laughs> without, um, you know, maybe getting a whole bunch of other nonsense topics in your feed. Uh, there's a lot of good things happening over at Substack now. So we're excited to kind of dip our toes in the water over there. Um, and we hope you join us again. If you're already on our email list, you'll be over there, but if you have any issues, if you think you have a paid account and it's not showing up, whatever, just shoot me an email, Jared at assembly and I can help you get squared away because obviously migrations can sometimes be a little bit of a challenge and so we'll make sure it's as easy as possible to do. Coach, how are you handling the the new technology?
1: Oh, I was testing it out today. How microphone better? So, th- yes, that's much better? better. Yes. Um yeah, I was testing it out playing around, seeing how to upload videos and and uh for an old guy, it was it was seamless.
0: Yeah, you can get so coaches I just coaches to know where to content. put stuff.
1: Yep. I got nowhere to put stuff, you know, like it reminding people to make their college pick them. Where does that go? Notes or does that go to chat? You know, it's just a different feel. But once I get the feel of it, um, I don't know where to put stuff. I'll be all right. How long will it take Ryan to make an account
0: at Substack? Will it happen during the season?
2: I mean, he may already have one for a different reason. So, that's, that's you true. know,
0: could. But how long will it take him to log into ours? That's the question. Ooh,
2: that's a tough call. Wow. Uh, <laughs>
0: that's the question over under (laughs) yeah all right um let's hop in let's talk not just about exhibition basketball but how to watch exhibition basketball (laughs) this is this is a true piece of content for the end of october (laughs) all right (laughs) here we go This is Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot or an episode of the Assembly Call. That's Coach Jordan Halls now. Love having Jordan as part of the staff. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Coach Brian Tonsoni and Andy Bottoms. And before we hop into talking about Indiana's upcoming exhibition game, I want to give a quick plug to our buddy Ed Fang, who runs the website The Power Rank. If you've been a long-time listener, you've heard us talk about Ed. Uh, he has a great book about how to win your March Madness pool. Um, been a, a long-time friend of mine, um, and just a, a really good guy. And his website, The Power Rank, he kind of describes it as PhD-level mathematics for better NFL and college football predictions. And he just he mentioned this to me last week. He's like, "Hey, you know, if you're going to do the announcement on the show, he's like." talk about my NFL interception props. So you talk about a niche. He's really carved out a niche with NFL interception props. So far in the season, he's 23 and 12 and up 17.2 units, which is, I guess, kind of a way that the Gamblu folks, you know, talk about how much they're up without getting into the actual dollar values. Um, But he puts one in his free newsletter every week. So if you're really looking for, you know, kind of a way to get an edge, it may be something that's a little bit different. Ed, he's got the NFL interception props and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, but the nice thing is, you know, you can really trust his content. Um, he's got an algorithm and kind of systems that he's been tweaking for many years. So you can go to com slash AC to learn more and sign up for his free email newsletter. That's thepowerrank.com slash AC Everybody who's done it and who has talked to me about it has really been glad that they did. You can do the free newsletter. He's got premium stuff that you can add on after that, but the free newsletter gives you some good stuff no matter what. So make better predictions, make smarter bets with the Power Rank, uh, and support our friend Ed. So thepowerrank.com slash AC. All right. So Indiana has two exhibition games this season. There are no secret scrimmages, none of that stuff. So we get two public exhibition games. Both will be broadcast on BTN Plus, so make sure that you get your BTN Plus subscription set up. We have Sunday at 1 o'clock Eastern against the University of Indianapolis, a Division II school. And then next Friday at 6.30 Eastern time, while I am away at my dad-daughter camp out, uh, Indiana will be facing Marion, an NAIA school, also on BTN Plus. Coach, I'm curious. I saw that Marion has a guy from Occulton
1: and a guy from Harrison, Rowan Farrell and Ben Henderson. Do you know either of those guys? I've seen them play. Uh, I know because um, we we didn't play that much. Uh, we used to have both of those schools on on our schedule when I first started coaching at Western. Uh, Harrison had played um, Rossville, where my son coaches. Um, yeah. So, yep, I've seen I've seen both of them play. Nice players. Nothing that Indiana should fear. But. Well, I would hope
0: not. And that brings us to yeah. this discussion, which is essentially about, you know, what to watch for and what not to watch for, Andy. Because you think about these exhibition games and you expect them to be blowouts. I mean, there's a just a massive advantage in terms of athleticism, in terms of skill that Indiana is going to have in these games. You know, and a lot of times you see, you know, individual stat lines. Like in one of the exhibition games last year, Logan Duncombe had a double-double. You know, 11 points, 11 rebounds. That obviously wasn't something that translated to the season, and so there are certain things that you know you can see, and it's like, well, this doesn't really mean much. But there are other things um, that you can see that sometimes are you know either signs of something the team is going to do well, or even harbingers of problems. Uh, and as an example, you know, we talked about this a lot late in the season last year. As early as the exhibition games, we were talking about Indiana's problems on the glass. And I went back and looked. Indiana actually gave up 24 offensive rebounds in two exhibition games last season, which certainly proved to be a sign of things to come as it ended up killing Indiana down the stretch. And, you know, rebounding, like many other things, is a habit. And if you have a team where rebounding is a priority from your exhibition game to games late in the season, that's often going to show up with little blips here or there. But sometimes you can see some of those little habits early on where it's like, mm, that doesn't seem quite as tight as you would like for it to be. Um, so let's start with you, Andy. Then we'll go to you, Coach. When you watch these exhibition games, what are some things that you watch for and you think are meaningful to take away? And what are some other things that when they happen, you're like, whatever, that really tells us nothing?
2: Yeah, I mean, for, for this year, one of the things I'm really interested to see is, is what, if any, changes we see offensively uh, in terms of what this team does and how they... Uh, you know, how they look in that regard. I'm, I'm less uh, to a certain extent, you're a little bit less concerned about the success, but just what is the offensive philosophy become? You know, everybody has speculated the entirety of the off season about how different it could look um, without being centered around a guy like trace. And, and certainly these are both games where if you wanted to go dump the ball inside to somebody, you could because you have advantages there, but uh, w- would also say that it, it's really the first chance for this team to, if there's going to be a different philosophy offensively Uh, Or some different things like that. This is the first chance to see it. And so uh, for me, that's uh, as big as anything just because it's outside of the actual personnel, the thing that at least we would anticipate changing the most for this team from uh, last year to this year.
0: Yeah. How do you see that kind of manifesting itself, coach? Because it's true. You know, it's like last year I talked about Duncan. You know, he was great. Malik was 14 of 18 across two exhibition games. Because typically you're, you know, you're just going to be able to dominate because of that size and skill down low. And clearly, if Indiana wants to just throw it down into Kalel and Malik and Peyton Sparks every possession, they'll probably score most possessions. Um, but I think we are all kind of interested to see if there's a different shot diet uh, for this team, you know, and what that philosophy is. So, how would you expect if the offense is going to look different? How would you expect to see that in an exhibition game?
1: Well. It's, it's interesting because uh, Coach Woodson, going all the way back to his first games in the Bahamas, uses these exhibitions like regular season games as far as rotation and strategy for the most part. I'd have to really go back and look at how, what kind of things he did offensively. Was he running a whole bunch of things, uh, or was he just trying to take advantage of what was there? Um, I, don't, I can't recall that right now uh, as per your question, but he has typically seen this as just a game game. To get ready for the real games, so I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some of the new offense uh, or whatever uh, we want it to be or, or we hope it to be for him to to do some of of those things. But that's I've always found that interesting with Coach Woodson is that his sub patterns. Um, you know, Trace Jackson Davis didn't play thirty five minutes in exhibitions, but he played more. The rotations I'll never forget. Christian Lander hardly got in in the Bahamas. And so there's a different philosophy. Some coaches would get everyone in, different rotations, everyone some film in these games, Uh, maybe try some posts, maybe try some of this offense, see what works, what they like. But I think Coach Woodson will go in with the strategy of this is what we want to do offensively right now, and they'll run that stuff – to take advantage and to score points. Uh, I don't think it'll be consistently throw it down low because, as Andy said, you could do that every possession. But I do think um, you'll see some of the things that he wants to try right now. And the other thing is you don't want to throw the whole package out either because everyone's watching, right? You're going to save a lot uh, offensively. For me, though, it is not the stats. Uh, It is not the score differential. Uh, Even if it were to get tight at, at some point, It's the execution and the effort um, more than anything. Uh, On offense, are you cutting hard? Are you catching the basketball? Are you squaring up? Are you seeing the action? Are you trying to hit the open man? You know, shots are going to go in and out early, hopefully more in uh, than out. But just the overall um, hustle and effort. Uh, I was watching the exhibition. I have the Big Ten Plus for the whole conference so I can watch all the games that are possible plus the the women's uh games and I was watching Michigan State and and the thing that I was impressed with on offense and defense was how hard they were playing and they were up 40 points in the first half I mean they that you don't have to do that when you're Michigan State or you're Indiana in this exhibition but if you do it in the exhibitions you're going to transfer that into the games and then good things are going to come out of that so I'm going to look at how they execute offensively Uh, My main concern is defense. Uh, Are they in position? Uh, The nice thing about these exhibitions, you're playing smaller guys. So the big wings um, and Baco at the three are going to play more guard-oriented thing. You can start to see how they can guard, which has been a a major question um, for this team. How are those pieces going to fit on the perimeter, guarding perimeter action? That's what I'm going to be watching uh, defensively. But it goes back to execution and effort. If you're given a, a, a try but you're out of position, that's different than You know, just kind of haphazardly going through an exhibition game.
0: And a lot of that boils down to habits, right? That's a word that we always use this time of year. You know, rebounding is a habit. You know, if that's going to be an emphasis, you're going to rebound in an exhibition game no matter what. You know, the same thing goes a lot of times for shot selection. You know, last year, Indiana took 19 threes in each of its two exhibition games which is relatively low, you know, in a game where there's going to be a lot of garbage time and you would expect to just toss up some more threes. And that was a harbinger of what this offense was, which is one that was going to use the three point shot, you know, less than average. Um, You know, how does that change? And so, Andy, what are some other habits that you think are interesting, you know, to to look for? Because I think, you know, especially in a first any first game, you expect a little bit of rust and the chemistry to not fully be there. I would expect that to be maybe even a little more pronounced with how many new guys are in new roles. you know. So if there's a few more turnovers, if there's a few defensive breakdowns, to me, seeing a few of those isn't going to concern me. But to Coach's point, if you've got guys that aren't playing in stances, if you've got guys that aren't coming to the ball on passes and aren't cutting, those are just basketball habits that – are harder to fix in the middle of the season than you know execution stuff and being in the right spot and understanding this read or that read. Um, so, what are some of the things that that you'd be looking for as far as that goes?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the the defense and rebounding are probably at the top of the list. I mean, if you look at a couple things, you know, one, given the personnel, the size, the length that's on this roster, we've all talked about this team should be a much better rebounding team than they were a year ago. And against some of these opponents, that's likely to happen almost just by, you know, it's not going to be a coincidence by any stretch. But it's also, you know, do you really see boxing out? Are you getting the rebounds just because you're bigger and more athletic? Or are you getting the rebounds because you're in the right position and, and some of those kinds of things? And and then on the defensive end, you know, Woodson from day one, no matter what the season has preached, that's really what they focused on. That's what they want to get right. That's what they want to hang their hat on. Uh, So how far along in that process are they? I thought coach brought up a good point with, uh, you know, trying to figure out against somebody who's going to put them in uh, maybe not a disadvantageous position um, size wise, but it is going to start to be an early test for, for that. And if, if I, you can play uh, the lineup that we kind of think they're going to start with, um, you know, obviously McKenzie's situation, notwithstanding who knows, uh, you know, whether he, he plays the exhibition game or not, but, um, you know, what kinds of things can you start to see there? Do you see some of the, um, you know, what does the help defense look like? Where are guys at? How's the communication, um, stuff like that. So, yeah, those are the two things on, on that, that side that I think are, are probably most important. Um, I think turnovers, I guess would be a third. Um, and, and it's that's one of those things I think you would expect a lot of that. Uh, on the one hand, you'd expect a lot of that in an early season exhibition game, with a lot of new faces. On the other hand, your two primary ball handlers coming out of the gate uh, are your most experienced players and the captains of your team. So are those guys taking good care of the basketball? And, and and so maybe it's not whether there are turnovers, which there almost certainly will be, but who's making those and what kind are they? Um, but you'd really expect and hope that not a lot of those are coming from guys like X and Trey because they're the ones who uh, you would probably expect the most from, and from that standpoint, uh, going in. So I'd say those are kind of the three, you know, individual things, habits, whatever you want to call it, that, that feel most important, uh, in this one to me.
1: One thing I I would add, and I I am just a a big believer in this in an exhibition game. Uh, Is it your habit? Is it your habit in game 32? Is it habit in game 33? Is your first three steps in transition, both offense and defense. If you're a real player, your first three steps are purposeful and as fast as you can to beat the team down and get set defensively so you can stop fast break points and transition offense of your opponent? And if you're on offense, do you sprint out after the ball has been secured to maybe get advantage on on the fast break or in transi- transition offense for yourself? In the uh, community, when I put the um, video coach's corner on Liam McNeely, the fundamentals of Liam McNeely, there was a play where he physically blocked out, as you were talking about, Andy. The rebound went somewhere else. He was on the baseline, and he took three outstanding first steps and just blew his defender away and got an and one on the other end uh, by hustling. But he he was the furthest player away from the offensive goal when the ball was secured with a defensive rebound, but he was the one who scored in the and one, you know, everyone loves his shot and everyone loves those, but I really watch those off ball movements. There's a great question. I think in the next segment too, about, uh, how do you tell if a team's really into the game or going to play well? But, man, I love guys who, who – Galloway does it. Galloway just sprints. But you got to do that defensively too, especially if X is at the free throw or he gets to the lane and misses. you got to have your wings sprint, sprinting back, not backpedaling back. Those plays over your head, uh, those are bad habits if you don't take three outstanding you know, sprint steps on both directions transition. So that's something that I like to see, a habit that I like to see early. Uh, If you have it early, it's likely going to last, and that's going to be a component of transition defense and transition offense that can win you games uh, where other parts of your game is not on in those particular evenings.
0: Yeah, and that's where it's easy to kind of poo-poo these exhibition games, and it is essential to keep them in the proper context, but I definitely don't think they're worthless. You know, I think a lot of seasons we've come on here and, you know, either notice something good or bad from an exhibition game that gets carried over at least into the early part of the season. This Indiana team does not have time to putz around early in the season. I mean, right off the bat against Florida Gulf Coast, that is a team that can beat you if you play your B-minus game. You know, so Indiana really needs to use these to ramp up, hone those habits. You know, Andy, to your point on turnovers, I, I, I definitely think it's about the type of turnover. You know, there may be some turnovers because you're running a play and the timing's not right and a guy's in the wrong spot or X is trying to be aggressive on the break and Kalel just doesn't quite know where he wants to deliver the pass and so it goes off his fingertips. I am not going to be concerned at all about those. But it's, do you see careless turnovers in the half court? Because those, again, are more habit. You know, do you value the ball? That kind of stuff. Um, and so the the type of turnovers that you see are important You know, the one thing that I think is really tricky in a game like this is when guys score points in ways that you don't normally see them score points. Because on the one hand, it can be, well, hell, did he add a new dimension to his game? Like last year, I think Tamar didn't play in one of the exhibition games, but in another one, he went uh, five of 10 from the field, but five of eight from two point range. And it's like, wow, look at this, you know, scoop got a little bit of a game inside the three point line. We got into the season, and he showed virtually no ability to score inside the three-point line. So that was something that he was able to take advantage of a comfortable, you know, you know, defensive environment against guys that weren't as big as him, and was able to score. But for example, like if we get into this game and Trey Galloway comes off of a screen and is able to turn, catch, and make a three-pointer, that would be intriguing to me because that's not something that we've seen him do. He's very much just been a catch, you know, standstill catch and shoot guy. And he needs to find different ways that he can get his shot off. And so if you see maybe a different way that he's getting into a shot, that to me is just something that you put in the back of your mind. You may never see it again because maybe it was just, you know, against this exhibition team, against a team that can't guard him. But, you know, hey, is this, you know, gonna be something? If Malik Renew steps out and confidently takes three, three pointers in the normal flow of the half court offense, that is something I'm gonna take note of. You know, and again, we won't be able to fully contextualize that until later in the season, but those are some of the things to look at. And then you just have to kind of wait and see, you know, what happens if it ends up being something that you believe in. Um, So let me run through five things here, real quick, that I'm going to watch for. And I want to get your guys' thoughts on them and then also, you know, hear what other ones you're going to be looking for. Um, Coach, my first one is when Gabe Cups plays in the first half, who's on the floor with him? Because you talked about you know, how Coach Woodson sometimes likes to kind of use his normal rotations. Does Cups get subbed in early and then play with X and Trey Galloway, or is he strictly the backup to X? I'm very curious to kind of see how they're planning on using him in that way. Uh, I think everybody's going to be looking at how comfortable and confident do Caleb and CJ look. That's an obvious one. You know, if, if CJ goes out and makes four threes, everybody can exhale and feel a little better about his shot, right? We'll have to see if it translates, but, you know, if Caleb shows, you know, the ability to, you know, to create offensively, that would obviously be big. I think Kalil wears focus and intensity level. That's been a big question mark. If you see him out there playing with a lot of intensity in an exhibition game, I think that can only be a good sign of the mentality he's bringing to the season. He'll have to continue it, but a good early sign. I mentioned Trey Galloway. Is he comfortable, you know, taking shots, you know, in different situations outside of just catch and shoot? Uh, and then does this team seem to have a habit for rebounding? We know they have the strength for it. We know they have the size and the length, but do they box out? Do they attack rebounds outside of their area? Basically all the things that only trace Jackson Davis did last year and no one really helped him out with. Um, so coach, those are kind of the five things to me, uh, that I'm really interested to see
1: any of those interest you. And then do you have any additional ones that you'll be watching for? Well, that's a heck of a list, you know. Uh, that could be like a wooden award list uh, right there because you've included five five really outstanding things. I it, it comes down to the sub patterns too, you know, more than the score and the, and and the stats and where people score. You know, like you you have the Duncombs getting double doubles that that didn't translate. We we can't get too caught up in that. But I think Gabe Cup's que- point that you made is interesting. Who does he play with? How does he play? Uh, I I think that to add to that with rotation is. Who comes in first, Walker or Sparks? I, I, there was some discussion last week about, you know, some of us think Sparks is more of that backup five and going to get a little more minutes than Walker, and, and I happen to think it might be a little different. Uh, so we'll start maybe being able to tell uh by that sub pattern, obviously we don't know the M'Baco situation if he plays plays or not. Um, but I think those lineup things are are, are very very uh, intriguing to me. We all want CJ and Caleb if if they're ready to play major college basketball right away. That helps Indiana. Uh, uh, we've said that in the off season. Sometimes it takes to the middle of the sophomore year. Sometimes it takes to a junior year for those caliber of players. Uh, but you need them, uh, and, and especially CJ because of of the limited guard. So, so looking at that, I loved your rebounding uh, thing. I, I think I will add to that offensive rebounding. I think that's a way to score points um, and have be just aggressive on the offensive side of that. So I would add that to 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 your list. Um, and then trend that's pace. I, I have been pushing for years and years to play at a faster pace. I think taking threes early in the break. I think rim running by your bigs and and getting. Uh, baskets at the rim, transition offense, pace of play, uh, taking advantage of that. I would really like to see that. So I'll, I'll be seeing if that's part of, uh, you know, the offensive game plan.
0: Yep. Andy, any other kind of specific things you're going to be looking out for?
2: I think the first couple on your list were the ones that I would have ranked at the top. I think one is looking at Gabe cups. Uh, this is not going to help answer the questions about his uh, physicality and some of those things, which I know keep getting brought up whether he can handle that from a big time perspective, this game will not answer that question at all. Um, but I, I think it does start to give you a feel for how comfortable is he in the offense. It's all new to him, right? It's, it's not uh, no preconceived notion of who he's going to be on the floor with or any of that stuff. Uh, how quickly is he gelling with whatever group he's on the floor with and, uh, and how confident is he able to get the team into, into things? Because you know, these are ultimately games where you're using them as a tune-up, but you also don't want to, you know, I don't want to see Xavier Johnson out there for, you know, 30 minutes in these games. So how do you, you know, can you, can you get Gabe some extended minutes and, and feel good about uh, where he's at in his development, knowing that he's going to look a lot different in February than he does right now, but, you know, where's he at early in the season when some of these tough games come or if X gets in foul trouble and, uh, and some of those kinds of things. And then uh, really trying to figure out you know, whether it's one or both of, of CJ and Caleb who were really able to take a step forward uh as sophomores. I think one of the things we talked about last year was that whenever they were in there, they played extremely hard because that was ultimately their chance to get on the you know, the chances for them to get on the floor were few and far between a year ago. Uh and they played like it and and they played with a an urgency when they did get in that sometimes got them in foul trouble, sometimes Got him over aggressive, but in general was good. And so, are they able to maintain that even in expanded roles this year as they really compete? Um, and they're doing that in practice. Obviously, we don't see that. This is the you know chance to see. And and so this for us is the first and only data point for Coach Woodson. It's you know it's not the first at all, but one of many. Um, it, You know, you have he, he's seen them a lot, but just to be able to see you know, what they look like and um I, I think those two things are really important. The the wear one is is also uh an interesting one and, and I think if you see him really getting up for and putting forth consistent effort in a game like this, then I think you feel pretty good again as a as a one game sample of where you'll be there. But uh yeah, I think some of the, the person you know individual personnel pieces are, are probably the most interesting uh to me and, and I think we'll all probably need to figure out how we don't overreact to some of those things in the way that we probably did uh, a year ago and year before that and the year before that. Um, and so I think it's, it's good to kind of put it in context, but I, I do think because there are so many new faces and or guys being asked to play much more expanded roles than they did a year ago, um, it it becomes important to see at least, Hey, where are they at at the beginning? Knowing that that's going to change a lot over the course
0: of the year. The last thing I'll mention is, you know, look, when you have a sixth year senior, You're not really looking to learn a whole lot about them in an exhibition game. You know, we didn't care what Trace Jackson Davis did last year in an exhibition game. You know that player. I do think X is a little bit of a different story for this reason. He has been a slow starter both of his years at Indiana. And as we mentioned, with the schedule that we have, we don't really have the luxury of X kind of playing his way into the season if we want to win some of these games. And so I am not going to overreact negatively if he struggles and has three or four turnovers because that's happened in exhibition games and has a bad shooting night. Like that's kind of, ex, you know, he just kind of starts out slow sometimes. And if that happens again, I'm not going to panic. I will say this. If he does come out and play crisp, you know, and plays really solid and is a you know, good leader and maybe isn't even taking a lot of shots, but is just distributing the ball, but is very efficient, I am going to take that as a good sign. That maybe some of the things he talked about, about learning while sitting over on the bench and having a better mental approach to the game, I am going to kind of put a pin in that and say, maybe X is a little bit more ready for the start of this season than he's been the last two years. And that would be really big for a team that's going to face a tough schedule. So that's something else. I'm not going to overreact either way, but it's at least worth monitoring given his short history at IU.
1: Yeah, we need to see X play with a calm aggressiveness. We don't want him to lose his aggressiveness and his attack ability and his uh, defensive intensity. But if he plays calm uh, and still remains aggressive, then that's the X that's going to be, uh, you know, a leader for this team and really lead this team's success. If he plays like a fart in a windstorm all over the place, like he's not, it's not good for Jeez. Indiana. So, you know, those are the two ends of the spectrum right there for X's play. <laughs> Cause he's really good when he plays calm. Wow. <laughs>
0: that's not a description I was expecting to hear, but I suppose it fits. That's
2: the kind of folksy oh, man, analysis people really come here for. Yeah. So I think that's, that's really right Those, want.
1: i want. I used to say that to my players all the time, like, quit it. <laughs> I, if you're going to be a point guard, you can't do that. You're everywhere. Like, uh, here, there.
0: That's funny. We well, don't need that. We need calm aggressiveness. We're going to spend a good 75 minutes talking about the exhibition game after it happens. We've now spent a good 20 minutes previewing it. This is where you go for serious in-depth exhibition basketball talk on the assembly call. But in all seriousness, you know, do not play a drinking game during the exhibition game post-game show where you drink every time we say caveat, this is an exhibition game because we'll probably say it 50 times because we always do. But I do I think there are things you can get from this. And that's why we wanted to do this segment. Just make sure you're looking at the right things. Don't overreact to the stuff that doesn't matter. Try and pay attention to the stuff that could indicate what we're going to see moving forward. And I do think it's a little bit more important this year than it has been in the past because there's no real easing into the schedule. Indiana faces tough opponents right off the bat, and they need to be ready to go. And that's a little tougher with so many moving pieces. Um, And so that's why I think there's just a a teeny little bit more on these exhibition games than maybe there's been in the past. Um, All right. Let's move forward here on the Assembly Call. It is mailbag time. We got a bunch of questions left over from last week that we're going to get to, a bunch of new ones that you all submitted. Uh, So we are going to answer those next on the Assembly Call. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Is that an angry face emoji up there? Coach, I think you... From, oh no! It's a haha. Okay, Seth Carmelo. That's how good I am at deciphering emojis. That's a it's laughter. So I think it came right with Where your fart you see in the wind comment. I know up there in the top left on okay. on Streamyard. So you got some laughter, Coach. Well done.
2: I, I didn't ah. see that at all. Oh
0: well. Oh maybe okay. Well maybe it's only the host gets to see that stuff. That's fine. Uh, all right, Andy, are you going to be here for the post game show? on sunday uh
2: i will not uh Mallory has a soccer game that starts i think i don't know it's like in the middle of the game uh it's, okay. it's i'm not missing to watch eagles commanders uh in case there's any question <laughs> but uh, i will not be on for the show
0: <laughs> coach you're gonna be here right yep okay so at a minimum it's be. us i don't know if ryan will be here because he's got nfl stuff to do probably but we'll be here We will be here. Okay, let's move on, and let's answer some of these questions. Here we go.
1: Hi, it's Thomas Bryan. What's the only thing better than being Kentucky in the NCAA tournament? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers.
0: Thank you, Thomas, Jared Morris here with the coach Brian Tonsoni and Andy Bottoms. Did you guys see the the best moment of the NBA preseason when Victor Wembanyama had that follow dunk over Thomas Bryant? And you just see Thomas like look up and then look to the bench with this like smile, like "What am I supposed to do" on his face because <laughs> he didn't even like realize that Wembanyama was in the vicinity, and he just some. And Thomas is a you know big tall dude himself, so I thought that was uh, just a great Thomas Bryant moment. That's why we love Thomas Bryant. He'll get some. He'll get some run in the regular season with the Heat, which is nice. Good for him. That's a good fit for him. Uh, all right, mailbag time. Uh, we got questions that were submitted in our private Mighty Network community last week, and then the very first round of questions from folks in our Substack chat. So again, AssemblyCall.Substack.com. Go check us out over there. Uh, there's a free subscription. You still get the Six Banner Sundays for free. And we're going to pop out like some some of our premium content every now and then will be free. So like maybe once a month, one of Coach's Coach's Corner videos, we'll make that free. Every now and then we'll do one of Tony's IU Film Room editions uh, for free. So there's a lot of value for the free subscription. Um, but as you'll see, if you go there, we're really trying to build a lot of value into the paid subscription um, because we know that when we have paid members there, people are serious about participating in the conversation. And that's what we want. Um, you know, that money helps support us and cover our costs and do all that stuff. And so we want to make sure that if you're paying us, we are giving you a lot of value for it. And so, uh, we're working hard to set all of that up right now, but that's over at AssemblyCall.substack.com. All right. First question from Bill Eady: outside of IU, which current college basketball team that has either never won an NCAA championship or like Indiana, not won one in decades, Do you think is most deserving of being 2024 men's basketball champions? In parentheses, he says, not intended to be part of the question, but you'll notice I intentionally worded this, Jared, so you could not include your other favorite, Virginia, despite the fact Coach Tony Bennett is a deserving, high character and high achieving coach. Yes, Bill is out there in Virginia. I think Bill's out there in Virginia and shares my affinity for the Virginia Cavaliers. So we can't say them. Uh, Andy, what do you think? you've been doing this bracket stuff and studying all these teams that are really good and haven't won. Who do you think is most deserving?
2: Uh, You know, there's a part of me that would like to see Gonzaga actually win uh, at some point. I I think at this point, it just feels kind of tired for people to talk about, oh, they're not good. They don't play in this, whatever. Like they play a tough non-conference schedule. They challenge themselves there. I don't think you do the things they've done even in the NCAA tournament without being a legitimate program. And I think there are times that people want to you know, kind of delegitimize what they did because they've done because of the leagues they played in. So uh, if you think about a team that has just had a massive track record of regular season, and even to a certain extent, tournament uh, success, uh, I guess that would be, uh, that would be one uh, would probably not pick San Diego state because Ryan would be uh, pretty hard to tolerate. I would imagine. Uh, it's completely ridiculous. So I won't go with them. I, and then I, I don't, you know, I think the FAU thing last year would have been awesome just as a kind of out of nowhere. Uh, I think that would still be enjoyable this year if they're able to follow that up. I think they're, you know, certainly the computer rankings don't think as highly of them as a lot of the, uh, you know, human human polls and voters do. But th- that would be an interesting one. But I will guess I'll throw maybe them and Gonzaga out there. Certainly not picking anybody else in the Big Ten. That's for damn sure.
0: Although there's some yeah. worthy candidates based on how the question was worded. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, but I I, went, I, I, went I need to pick that. something I might actually root for. I can't.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I
1: know. You know, I, I, th- I think Gonzaga is an excellent pick, Andy. I, I was thinking about them. First of all, this question was awesome. I spent some time going through... Uh, all the conferences and seeing who I thought deserved it and then have they won before? Do I like their coach? Are their fan bases? Not, you know, I, I spent a lot of time Notre inside Dame. college basketball. He, yeah. He did, he did all this you research know, just um, to then be like,
2: well,
1: Notre Dame's not on the list. Um, <laughs> and I went back and forth. I, I did consider Gonzaga. Um, I think UCLA and Mick Cronin, but do they deserve it? They've won a lot, you know? So I, I dismissed them because they've already won a lot under Wooden. Uh, I got but back not to in a while. Schools, What was, was UCLA? but not last in a while. Time? Was it was the, the, when the Toby Jim Bailey was scene? there? Yeah. So I think they guys? would fit that criteria, like, right? Yeah,
0: mid, um, mid nineties, right? I think so.
1: And, and then I just thought maybe I went nostalgia cause I went, I was looking at Georgetown and Marquette, and so I, I'm settling on Marquette as my answer because they have a top ten team, depending on who you look at for preseason. Uh, Shaka Smart, I think, is is a really good coach. Uh, they survived Tom Crean, and then had another coach, and then are now in a position to win. We've survived Tom Crean, had another coach, uh, and and now we're poised to follow Marquette in the deserved. So I settled on Marquette. I would really like to see a. Uh, uh, Georgetown back. Um, I didn't like them when they were winning, uh, back in the day necessarily. Uh, but, um, you know, the, the new coach and, and I have a, when teams win, I don't like them until they don't win for a long time. And then I have, I, I have that nostalgia. I want that, that team back and, and doing well, but I'm going to settle on Marquette.
0: Yeah, those are all good ones. I mean, look, any, uh- Objective analysis of this question is going to include a discussion of Purdue. So I'm just going to bring it up. I wouldn't root for it. I'm not going to claim them as my answer, but they are, given everything they've achieved as a conference champion, I think given what they've achieved over the last you know decade, 15 years, uh, they're one that you could consider, but we're not going to consider them on an IU podcast, at least not seriously. Um, you know, I... I Andy, you said not the Big Ten. I, I, I just kind of want to answer the Big Ten. I think it's time for the conference to win, um, to end the stupid streak of not being able to win. Um, you know the the conference has had teams worthy of winning a title. Indiana in 2013, uh, if they don't run into a bad matchup. Michigan in 2013. Wisconsin in 2015. Whatever that team was. You know they've had teams good enough to win. Um, you know, and so I think you could make a case for several teams in the Big Ten. You know that have been deserving and just haven't won, um, but I think the the answers that you guys gave are good. Gonzaga is an obvious one, um, and uh, and Marquette's a good one too. So great question from Bill, and uh, hey, hopefully one of those teams can uh, can get it done. But I mean, the real answer is Indiana. It's been a while for us too, so screw this. Let's go get our sixth one. How about that? <laughs> That's what we really need to do. Uh, okay, here's a really good question from Bob, uh, Bob Rathburn. I do not have a basketball background, but I'm trying to improve my basketball IQ to better comprehend what's going on during a game. What do you key on early in a game to get a sense of how IU is playing? Are you looking for certain off-ball movements, sets, or other types of activity beyond shot selection and rebounds? Thanks in advance, Bob. So, Coach, go to you first and then Andy.
1: Yeah, I think we've said a lot of things that could be answered in here. You said the word crisp. I said the word uh, cutting hard uh, and and the... and the sprinting back and forth. And so to answer his questions, I look at those off-ball movements. Um, are, does it seem to me that Indiana is locked into playing with effort from the tip? Uh, and there's some times you get down 16 to 5 in that first TV timeout, and you like, man, these guys better turn it on. There's enough time to flip the switch. But it's never, it's always uneasy to me when I see those first four minutes and there's just not that crispness, that that level of intensity uh, in, in moving offensively and defensively. Uh, and it's not so much shots be going in or, or defending, but, you know, leaving a wide-open three without even contesting a three and, and sloppiness with the basketball, you can just tell uh body language maybe even early against some some opponents uh will will tell you an awful lot. I believe the first five minutes, that's an old Bob Knight thing, the first five minutes of every half are very, very, very important. You can overcome a negative start, uh, but it it puts you in a hole. So I, I think the best part of that question was how they're moving without the basketball, how they're cutting, how they're you know, taking care of the basketball, and not the shooting percentage or the score. Um because all of that can be misleading. You could actually have a lead and be lackadaisical because you hit two or three threes uh, early on, and then it doesn't bode well because that lack of uh, intensity and focus catches up to you in a half. So so that's kind of what what I look at each game. You get a feel like, okay, this is going to be a game where we're going to struggle, or this is a game where we're going to be all right. You know, We may not win or lose, but we're going to give great effort. Uh, so that's what I look for.
0: Yeah. And Andy, I think a lot of that stuff shows up defensively. You know, are you fighting through screens or are you just getting knocked off and letting a guy beat you? You know, are you just sitting there watching the ball with your ass in the air or are you down in a stance, you know, arms out, you know, really, you know, looking to read and react to what's going on defensively? You know, that kind of stuff really kind of shows. Are you into the game? You know, sprinting both ends of the court. You know, those are the kinds of things. And my goodness, we've seen enough Indiana teams over the past five, six years where you don't see that. And it's like, oh, look, we're down 26 to two to Michigan or whatever at home, you know. And that's usually the culprit is it's like, my God, we just don't even look ready to play. You know, that's often where that stuff manifests.
2: Yeah, that's what that's what I was going to say. I I just feel like this has not been a team in, in recent years that has done very well having to come from behind. So even though to coach's point, you've got time. I mean, you get off to a slow start. I, I just feel like there's been too many times this team can't turn the turn things around quickly enough. And that usually shows up on the defensive end. I mean, even if you think about um, you know, the the Iowa game last year in Assembly Hall, I mean, just the defense was really poor at the beginning and you dug yourself a hole, let the other team get so comfortable that you could really only in you know, even that game, I don't think there were very many short spurts where they were able to get back in the game, but just dug such a big hole uh, with playing that way on the offensive end, and I think as you get further into the season, uh, offensively, I, I think y- you, know, you, kinda, you you can kind of you kind of know how the team wants to to score, where they want to get the ball, where they want to take shots from. Uh, with this team, we're not going to know that early on, but I think eventually, once you get deeper in the season, particularly in the Big Ten, you know if this team's not getting the ball in the spots that it it wants it and it's proven to be successful, uh, or actions that they run you know, are getting blown up, uh, then that's at least an early indicator that the other team has either got a really good game plan or IU's not executing well enough. But uh, that'll be hard in some of these exhibition games because you really, with this team, this group of personnel, we don't know the answers to that yet. But, you know, last year, IU struggling to get the ball to trace, settling for a lot of, you know, late shot clock, jump shots, things like that, you could kind of tell just weren't, you know, tuned in enough on, on the offensive side.
0: Um, Okay, a couple quick hitters here. Valerie says, will Collel step up? It's an awesome question. (laughs) You know, none of us know. I think there are reasons to have some confidence, uh, you know, about why his stint at Oregon didn't go well. And, you know, hey, Trace faced some very similar questions about motor and Mike Woodson helped him answer those questions. So I think there are reasons to be optimistic. But, you know, to quote our absent co-host, you know, we do kind of have to see it. Uh, from Kalel. and I think that's a fair thing to say, um and you want to see it consistently because he started out last season pretty well, and then you know kind of went in the tank a little bit, and hopefully he's able to be more consistent. Um, Jeff says, what are the feelings about Queen possibly committing to Indiana? I mean, we've got a shot, you know, it still seems like the safe money would be on Maryland just because they're the hometown team, but there also seem to be some winds blowing. Uh, and some maybe people around him that that think you know going away from home would be smart. So you know I don't know. We're hearing everything like sixth, seventh, eighth hand. So we're just going off what we hear. Um, but I think we're legitimately in it. Like I'm, I remain very interested in seeing what happens with that recruitment, even if I don't particularly want to keep following the day to day of it with the season about to start. Uh, and then Kathy says, "I've heard a few times that Trey is coming back next year. Is there any support uh, to that or only speculation? I mean, he's you know." six, seven months from having to make that decision. So anything is going to be speculation and I suppose anything can happen in this era, but I would certainly be shocked if he went anywhere else. And I'd be very surprised if he's not playing for Indiana next year based on everything I know. Um, But you know, seasons are long and probably just a good question to table until the off season. Um, Okay let's hit the rest of these and hit some of the ones coach that we forgot last week. We're not forget, but we didn't have time to, uh, from JD, what big 10 team or player are you higher on this year than the broader college basketball media? Andy, why don't you tackle this one first? Who are you higher uh, in the big 10? Uh,
2: you know what? I really wish I had written down who I was going to say for this last week. Cause I did give this <laughs> thought, but I'm struggling to remember. Uh, I think, uh, I feel like Rutgers was a team that I had thought about. Um,
0: yeah. Trust in Pike. I,
2: I, I think you've got an identity. You've got a good big in Omaruyi. I think Simpson uh, had, you know, showed some flashes as a, as a freshman uh, and they brought in another guard uh, in the portal who smaller guy, but might be able to score. So they lose a lot with, without McConnell uh, defensively. Um, but uh, Mawat Mag, I think is supposed to be back. So he can help on the defensive end. So He, you know, they tend to be in the, you know, 10 or so range, it feels like. Um, And so I think they could very easily outperform that as well. Uh, The other one that I guess I would think about is maybe Ohio State, but I think it just depends. Like everybody in that middle, you can make arguments either way. I think um, there's reasons to feel better about Ohio State really underperformed a year ago. Um, But in the big 10 tournament had some of their young guys really start to show flashes. So yeah, if you get the, the versions of those guys who showed up for uh, the weekend in Indianapolis, then uh, you know, I think they could really take a step forward with some of the pieces that they've added. If you get the version that showed up most of the rest of the season, then perhaps less so, or if they don't get substantially better on the defensive end becomes kind of hard to compete uh, from that standpoint. But uh, I think Rutgers is the team that I had in mind last week and, uh, Ohio state probably second.
0: Yeah, boy, I agree with a lot of those. I mean, it's tough to question Rutgers given how much they've whooped our butt over the past six, seven years overall, um, and Ohio state, just a lot of talent and Holtman's Mm going to be able to build a good offense. It's just, can they guard anybody? Um, I would have said K-State Tominaga for myself until everybody started putting them on all American teams. So apparently everybody's high on Tominaga now. Um, so he's not, he's not just our little secret as big 10 fans Mm -hmm. anymore.
2: Well, he's now your sworn enemy as yeah. someone who, uh, his, <laughs> which is his,
0: ridiculous. Cause I love Xavier Johnson. Well, not, not anymore. You don't. So you're, well, that's ridiculous. That's I blame the idiots who put him over Xavier Johnson. I don't blame K he's awesome. I love the way he plays. Um, coach, who are you higher on than the, the general college basketball media? <laughs>
1: You know, I I feel like there are some teams that the general media are higher on than I, than I am, oh, like Ohio State and and Wisconsin. Uh, you know, I I see why. You know, you got some players coming back, and you're overcoming that uh, tough year that Ohio State had. So I I don't disagree, but um, they're still Wisconsin. You know, I I don't think athletically they're they're fun <laughs> to watch. Um, you know, I think Iowa is on the way down. You know, and and I like you. Steve Pico, I, I just I think he's a really really great coach, and I hope he he loses to Indiana twice. But um, this is gonna it surprised me too when I was reading through all the magazines and listened to all the Big Ten things. I, I think Northwestern has a shot to to stay competitive. They were what number two last year, uh, and could have been ninth depending on that last game. Um, I, I think they have an outside chance to be a bubble team again, not unlike the 2016 when they made the tournament and then fell back down to the bottom. You know, I I think Boo Booey is good. I, I think some of the pieces are there, and I think they have a chance to stay relevant. So a lot of a lot of uh national people are thinking they're back down ten, eleven, twelve. Um I wouldn't be surprised to see them in that seven eight range with the chance to make the tournament. I think a lot of people uh, think they're one hit wonder again and going to fall back down. I I wouldn't be surprised to see them not in the mix for a Big Ten tournament, not in the top four again. I don't think they're that good, but I don't think they fall as much as what some of the media is saying. So so when there's so much mixture in the middle, um, you know that that two through eight, uh, set of teams, uh, I'd throw Northwestern in at the very bottom of that potentially. So. Uh, another uh, really good questions tonight from our, our community members. Uh, but, uh, I think Rutgers and Northwestern both have a chance to stay relevant. Um, even though they, they lost some, some pieces.
0: All right. Uh, let's roll through a few more of these here from Daniel. How is Ware adjusting to being a Hoosier? How is he responding to the call for him to fire up his motor? None of us know. We're just going to have to see when he plays. I mean, you hear, I do know stuff.
1: this they're constantly working on it. The The people have yeah. been in practice and, and, and what has gotten back to me is like the coaching staff's aware of it and they're really trying to do things to move him forward. I haven't really gotten much feedback on whether it's working or not, uh, and shouldn't, uh, that should be kept inside, uh, you know, the the program. But I do know for a fact that that is a main emphasis, almost every practice that they're really, really not on him hard, but really encouraging him in, in ways coaches encourage players, uh, to do things that that he needs to do. So it's not because the staff is failing if it doesn't work out, you know, it it is going to be a a effort throughout the season and that's all you can ask.
0: As well. They should. I mean, the guy has the talent to take you to a final four and he's legitimately that good. Now, whether he can put it all together or not, we'll have to see. Um, Let's see. Mike says what returning player or players have shown the greatest improvement? You know, we don't know that without having been in practice. I would say based on what you hear, There is universal praise for Trey Galloway and how well he's practiced, things he's added to his game, what he's done from a leadership perspective. I'm going to be shocked if we don't. Now, his three-point percentage may not be as good, but I'm going to be shocked if we don't see an even more productive and confident Trey Galloway based on everything we've heard. You know, and I've heard good stuff about Gabe. I've heard good stuff about CJ. You hear great stuff about Peyton Sparks, and he's a coach's dream. Um, But Trey is probably the one that I've heard the most about over everybody um andy do you have any other any thoughts here or kind of anybody that you're projecting no
2: i i would have said the same thing it seems like the one of the drum beats has been uh has been related to trey so that's that's who i would have said i think you've heard a lot of positive things about cj gunn um i think we determine the answer to this question though based solely on how people play on sunday though so yes we'll just no, that go is the next
0: absolutely Absolutely. There's a lot riding on this exhibition. That
2: was, that was the point of the segment we did earlier, right? Was to, yes, yeah. okay, good. I
0: got it. Okay. Speaking of which from Tom, he says, when are you guys doing your picks for number of wins this year? So as you all know, we always do an over under episode. Our buddy Jay Horry really works hard and, you know, tries to put together these over unders that are going to be really hard for us to pick. Um, and we were going to do it this week, but Jay said he needed to see an exhibition coach He wanted to see an exhibition, to kind of see how guys were going to be used, to really be able to make his over-unders as accurate as possible. And, you know, when you have a track record for over-under genius like Jay does, what are we to do? You know, we're kind of at the mercy of his genius, and so we just have to wait for him to bless us with his over-unders, which apparently he will do next week. So next Thursday, our plan for Assembly Call Radio is to do our over-unders. And we are open. If you guys want to actually make this like a competition, and maybe the the winner gets something, and the person who's in last, you know, who finishes last, has to do something. We are open to your ideas uh, for that, but we will be making those predictions next week. Going,
2: Jer- Jared is open to your ideas. That I mean, that was a, <laughs> yes, that was quite a use of we there.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I, I'll shave. I'll shave my head if we if I lose if I'm <laughs> last. I'll, I'll shave. <laughs>
0: Uh, no, if you lose, you have to sit by Jay at the meetup at midnight at the at Crazy Horse when we're talking ah, basketball. Done that before.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <Whew>.
0: uh, <laughs> let's see. We got a question about where Boogie is going. Uh, so that was definitely a last week question. Man, Kentucky. That's how. We're, think about we're talking, how long uh, ago. We're,
2: we're talking about Boogie Flanders, right?
0: Boogie, Boogie Flanders. I don't okay, know. Okay. I don't know. That I heard I've about him on laughed. the home network. I don't know that I've ever laughed as hard at, a, at, a, at an Indiana sports podcast moment as Scott just like legitimately calling him Boogie Flanders. <laughs> just a normal conversation. And then you hear Galen like unable to stifle his laughter. And it's like he's breaking the fourth wall, like laughing with all of us. Boogie yeah. Flanders. <laughs> it's just it's the greatest thing ever. The greatest thing ever. Um, okay. Let's see. Kathy says that was about Trey coming back. Uh, Do you feel Indiana will defend better this year? It surely depends on a healthy X. And coach, we've talked about this. The tools are there. Even though you lose Trace Jackson Davis, the tools are there to be better defensively. Because while Race Thompson and Miller Kopp were admirable defenders, and Race had his moments. I mean, you think about what Race did at the end of the second half of that Michigan home game. I mean, that was vintage Race Thompson making play after play after play defensively to save that game. Now, he wasn't able to kind of do that as much last season and you know Miller did his best despite some athletic limitations there aren't going to be a whole lot of matchups where Indiana is at a disadvantage athletically this year it's just how quickly do the young guys pick up the system um and if X is healthy there's not a there's not a you know a a backcourt in America that is going to enjoy facing Indiana because X and Trey are going to make their lives hell so there are the tools there to be a top 20 defense um but enough question marks that you know, you you know you got to see it and see how these parts and pieces fit together. But there's the defensive potential on this team is very very good. What do you? I mean, I think they'll be better than last year just because you have X and we were only 45th last year. Um, it's just to me, it's are we better than we were Woodson's first season? That's what I think is going to be the more interesting question.
1: It, it just comes down to how quick and and, and how. How well we can guard the that the wing power forward. You know, I know it's positionless basketball, but the old three and four spots. You, you know, we we get better than last year at the one and the two because of X's return and Trey Galloway. We lose great positioning in Miller Cop at the three, and that's where Mbako or, or whoever plays that three. They got to be in good position, and can they guard the bounce? And and even can you stretch out? A lot of teams have stretch fours. Is, is that where? Uh, Malik, are they, you know, eyes on the ball or are they head on a swivel? All those little things. That to me is, is the key that the length and the athleticism is the recipe to play good defense. Like the ingredients are there. It's just can they get the system, and it's a mentality, too, that a lot of players struggle with of wanting to be in the right position, make the right decisions, when to help, when to not help, close on out correctly, not flying by, fight, fake hustle, all of those things come into play. Uh, defense, to me, is is probably the, the biggest concern uh, of picking up the system uh, that Coach Woodson wants to do. It's not for a lack, again, of attention, because he emphasizes it, uh, but... It's You have to be five guys working together, everyone on a string. We used to use that kind of terminology too. It's like when one guy moves, the other guy's got to follow. That's really hard to get done early with so many new people and even coming off the bench. So we're improved up front. It's the three, four, five spots. And then just, you know, again, like we've said all along, Can those pieces meld together defensively? Uh, We had a lot of good defenders last year, and we're 45th. So, you know, we got to guard the three. It it is a concern of mine, uh, but the ingredients are there. It's not like we got to cover up stuff that we don't have and play a junk defense or something to cover it up. No, we we have the ingredients. It's just mixing it uh, the right way. And the other thing, Andy, is Indiana was actually pretty good last year at defending the first shot. (laughs) A lot of times, the
0: problem was giving up the offensive rebound on the second chance points, and so if Indiana is a better rebounding team, that is going to show itself in the defensive efficiency.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree, and and just to piggyback on something Coach said, trying to figure out matchups and and people that might stretch him out. You know, I think Ware is viewed in a lot of ways as the not not the TJD replacement, but at least the rim pro, from a rim protection standpoint. If he ends up being the guy who has to guard the four, uh, which seems likely. Uh, in a lot of cases, given, uh, you know, Malik or Peyton Sparks or, or whatever, do you let him get pulled away from the rim? And now is that rim protection, not really there in the way that you hoped it would be or expected it to be. But, uh, certainly with X at the point of attack, things are going to be a lot better. Uh, it's just a matter of h- how does everything else hold up behind that and, and where can you be? And, uh, I think being able to, to stop the drive, effectively has been something that this team has struggled with, particularly from the wing. So that's where, uh, you know, the, the bigger lineup that has been much discussed, uh, may struggle. And so trying to figure out how they do that and and how they can maybe make up for that with help positioning and, and things like that.
0: Yep. All right. A few more here to get to from Jim, Tom, if Liam turns out to be the only signee of the big three, this coaching staff has been all in on, where do they go from here and how will you judge the performance of the staff? Well, you know, where you go from here, there's two places. One would be, you know, guys who make a decision to reclassify. Like, I don't even know the young man's name, but we just made an offer to a guy from out east. He's the top 15 player in the class of 2025, that apparently there's a chance he may reclassify to 2024. And so maybe some of these kind of come out late, even in the fall session, that are going to be interesting. Outside of that, you would go to the spring and you would look at the transfer portal and you would look at guys like Tamar Bates, Malik Renu, and Mackenzie Mbako who were committed and decide to decommit. And now, do you have an opening there? So those are the options and there are plenty of options and it's way too early for anybody to panic. As far as how you would judge the performance of the staff. I mean, look, if you only get one of them, you know, you got Liam and he's an excellent player. He is by no means a consolation prize. He is a guy that you build a recruiting class around. So you've added a huge piece for the future. That's big. And that I think makes this successful. You know, and if you end up striking out to Kentucky and say Maryland for Fland and Queen, but you were in the final two for both of those guys, you know, it's kind of like Ken Palm, right? You know, if you go play Kansas and you lose by one, you're not really docked that much for losing that game. And it's not a perfect analogy because it's recruiting and you either get a guy or you don't. But Indiana is still in this process of trying to get back its seat at the big table. And so no matter what happens with Derek Queen and whether you get one of these guys or two of these guys, Indiana has shown itself to be a player on the national stage and to legitimately be able to, you know, get in the final group. And so I think it's been successful from that standpoint because you landed the one guy, you've got a legit chance at a second one, and you've been a staff that's done a nice job in the spring of bringing in talent. And their choice was to really zero in and go all in on this small basket of guys, and there's risk there. But I was okay with it when they made the decision, and so I'm not going to just suddenly change now if the results don't go our way. These are some of the recruitments we're going to have to be in. We need... the. Success on the court to be a little bit better, maybe to tip the scales in some of these recruitments. So, I am not going to judge the staff harshly. I'm glad they did what they did. I hope we get Derek Queen because that'll obviously make it perfectly easy to justify. But the fact that they got Liam McNeely, I think, makes it at a minimum their strategy is going to pay off with a terrific player to build around. And with everybody basically saying Indiana's got its seat back at the table. And now you got to build on it in the next class, but I think this was kind of another stepping stone recruiting cycle um, that you can take a lot from even if the final results don't end up being what we all want. Is that fair, or do you guys disagree with that
1: yeah i think I think it's fair I think the thing that um, i I don't do a good job of because I'm not inside the room is that I'm sure the recruiting board has three or four years plan planned out too um and so when someone comes on like me and says you know what maybe it was a too narrow of a net well maybe they did that for this class because they think they have something going on in the next class and the next class and they said we're gonna we're gonna focus on these three if we get all three it's great if we get one it's good really good because we, we're gonna do this and this and this uh they probably already have eyes on guys that could potentially be in the portal um and, and say i'm not saying anything under underground or anything like that but if you're not keeping a track of, of players that maybe you missed out on that went to a school and had a a questionable freshman year. You know, uh, you you have to do, do we don't know that. So when I come to say my con, the only criticism that I think you could even level is do they need to have a little bit wider of a net in case these things end up like they did, where you might only get one. And then you have that four star that's going to pop or, or something else. Um that that's and it's slight. I, I think they did a good job. I think we're back in in into the homes of some of these top uh, talented players. You need to win championships. So again, I, I would say it's okay to good. Uh, great would have been getting two or three. Uh, and there is risk. And the risk was you only got one, but it was a heck of a piece. Uh, so, so that's the question that I would ask. And if I were running a a program, I I would know what I got Twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. 24, 25, 26. They have to know that every program has to know that. So maybe they were comfortable with the narrower, um, net. If that continues year after year, then you really be, have to be good in the portal. Uh, and, and right now we'll see that this year because we're going to rely on some, some portal guys, um. But, um, yeah, I, I think for me it's it's okay, slightly better than okay. Uh, if we get Derek Queen, it's really, really good. Check.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's one of those there's risk in any approach, right? Like there, there's risk in taking a very narrow approach and going after a few guys. There's also risk in going after too many and you spread yourself so thin that you really can't make it clear to the recruit that they're a priority for you. Um, so I don't think any of these three guys are going to, no matter what decision they end up making, it will have been clear from the very beginning to them that that was, you know, that they were one of IU's top priorities. You, you try to do that with too many guys that, that, that becomes pretty hard for them to, to really believe. And um, so what, you know, time will tell whether this is one, the approach they want to take every season and two, whether it's the right approach, because you may need to do some things a little bit differently, but um, you know, I think from a, a portal standpoint, uh, you, you know, you look at if they can have success with Khalil Ware this year, that goes a long way towards some of the top guys in the portal being like, "Hey, this can be a destination." They went after some of the top guys there last year; he was the one that they got. Um, and and I think even X to a certain extent can be a, a portal success story. Um, as you as you watch his his career end and um. So I, you know, time will tell. And, and the other thing is, IU's been effective at being able to get some good recruits in the spring that have either had de- that decommitted. You know, there's so many moving pieces now with the portal and everything else. And some guy in NIL with guys going back to college that didn't think that they would. I mean, ultimately, that was the 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 reason that IU was able to get uh, McKenzie because you know would have never thought Filipowski was going to go back to Duke. He did. Playing time isn't going to be there that you thought was going to be there, and different things like that. You got coaching changes that led to. Led to those opportunities, and those are things that I use been really good at uh, from a recruiting standpoint. So, you know, if if Queen decides to go to Maryland, we uh, will be disappointing, but don't think it'll be the end of the world because there's lots of other pieces to 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 go after out there in one way or another, and in in ways that I use been successful in the past.
1: You bring up a really good point that we need to get used to the portal. It's just hard for me to get used to that. But there are some gems, and you're going to have to win the portal. Um, You know, close to home, Jake LaRavia uh, was with my son at Indiana State, and he goes to Wake Forest, has a really good year, and ends up in the NBA. Um, And and he was, I think, committed to Southern Indiana or something like that originally before he committed to Indiana State. So there are a lot of those schools, the small schools. Peyton Sparks at Ball State wanting to come in to Indiana. And I kind of hate that for those small schools that they're kind of, uh, you know, the – you know, uh, building block or stepping stone for some of these athletes, but that's just the way of the world. And I think those coaches benefit too. If they send players to, you know, Michigan State, Purdue, Indiana, then you'll get some better recruits that just miss out in the recruiting. I am not used to it yet, and I think a lot of our fans are not, that we're used to looking at the five-star players coming out of high school. That recruiting is now – that is just a small piece, And, and and, and I have to be aware of that as well. Uh, so we landed one, and that's why it's good. Uh, the portal is a huge um, piece of this now that wasn't just three or four years ago. You can totally rebuild a team, but you got to be a good recruiter in that too. You can't just bring in guys that don't produce. Um, you've got to be very proactive in that as well. But it's it's hard for a lot of us fans who have always gone to the AAU events and followed all of that and Indiana elite and, and those types of things. It's a different world now where you may even bypass some of those and let them go to a smaller school, but keep your eye on them. You know, uh, that borderline four or five star and get, put everything into the, your top five. Cause you know, you might be able to get some of those guys down the road. It's just, um, it's yeah. a new world uh, that a lot of us need to get used to. I think.
0: Last question before we wrap up from Jeff.
1: He says, this is a super dumb
0: question, but I'm asking anyways. Uh, and that is fine. It's not a dumb question. I think it's a good one. Which missed dunk was the most impressive? Obviously, Vicks against Michigan in 2013. Uh, probably just the Hall of Fame choice for best missed dunk in IU history. He also mentions Trey's when he tried to dunk over Edie against Purdue, which was incredible. Uh, just couldn't quite stick the landing. Uh, are there any others uh, that can that can compete with those in terms of missed dunks? That would have been legendary if they had made them. I think Trace had one, didn't he, when he went up against Edie? Yeah. I think, yeah, was that at the home game? I think that was at the home game. Couldn't quite get it over him because Edie was seven inches taller, but that would be another one I would add to it.
1: Uh, I think a lot of people missed this one when I dunked, you know, on Jay uh, at at the saloon (laughs) at at the end of that thing on bracketology. (laughs) like no one saw it it wasn't on youtube it was a missed dunk but by many of you but dunk. i really I mean, that dunked was, on him
0: you dunked you hung I on the rim on him. you grabbed your balls like you did everything to <laughs> i just lifted it up
1: <laughs> we need to we need to sell tickets i'm gonna dunk <laughs> on his rear end again <laughs> february 3rd this year mediocre yeah. jay
0: we're selling tickets we're selling tickets Coach and jay after dark
1: now nah, vix it's got to be vix <laughs> against michigan man that was awesome that was awesome. That
0: was that, was that awesome. really that
2: really took a turn that was unexpected. But uh, I think the uh, I think the answer is, is Vic. And it was in
0: a legendary garden. night for anybody who was there.
1: <laughs> oh. All right, it's why hey. the meetup. Mark your calendars, February third. You I never know. Uh, I don't know what What happen. could happen? <laughs> but Coach and Jay are definitely going to get into it at the end of the night. There's no on question. Kirkwood.
0: Um, okay, here's my last question, and we may not be able to answer this yet, but we have to figure it out as the season goes by. What is going to be our one-name shorthand for Mackenzie Mbako? Because everybody's got it. Like X is X, Trey is Trey, Kalil Ware is just Kalil, Malik is Malik, but we kind of oscillate. Like you called him Mackenzie, sometimes you call him Mbako, you can call him Mac, but you've also got the complication of having Mackenzie Holmes. So we have to settle on what our one-name shorthand is going to be for Mbako. And I don't know what that is yet, but I'm just saying. I feel like no
2: maybe we uh, I feel like maybe we wait and hear how some of the players, yeah. you know, talk about him, whether it's in a press conference or uh, or Woodson or something like that. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know.
0: I feel like it's gonna we're gonna settle on Mbako because that's the unique part of his name, and it'll separate him. Because Matt, you know, Mackenzie Holmes already has Mac and Mackenzie. Yeah, so no, I feel like says, that would be Mackenzie, I'm yeah. thinking Mackenzie Holmes. By the way, I don't know if you guys saw if you happen to be on the Hoosiers Connect email list. You may have seen that they did drawings for some special items. And a certain host on this show is going to be the recipient of an autographed McKenzie Holmes jersey. Don't boo that. That's incredible. I went there, spent my money to support Indiana NIL, and I got something out of it. I can I've got my my McKenzie Holmes jersey. I already got my McKenzie Holmes shirt from Home Field Apparel. I am ready for the season. That's all I have to say. I thought I was a very worthy recipient.
2: I don't think he was booing you. I think he was just pointing to you.
1: Just pointing. Oh, I thought you, rich I thought you were richer. doing a thumbs
0: down. No, he okay. was doing his thumb no, to no, the no. side to oh, point to okay. you. He
2: was not doing a thumb down.
0: Okay. All right, cool. I take it back then. I take it back.
1: All right. The rich nice. get richer.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 uh, that is awesome.
0: Any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we sign off until Sunday? We have an actual post-game show on Sunday. Let's go. How exciting is that? How exciting is that? I look forward to getting our first post-game run sheet ready to go. It's going to be fun. Going to be fun. All right. That is it. That'll do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, you can join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thank you, as always, to Bob Thompson for producing our music. Thank you to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos. And thank you for listening. We'll be back Sunday to talk IU Exhibition Basketball after their game against U-Indy. Until then, take it from me, Anthony Leo. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for coming out. Here I come, Mrs. <laughs> Stan Sony. Hey, All are right. are those some of those new um, drops uh, from Leo? And um, are they in the folder assembly call folder on on Dropbox?
0: I don't know. I may need to upload them. I don't,
1: I don't. I don't have some of those. Um, okay, Lily King. Me... Oh, shoot, Leo.
0: Okay. Let me let me look. I'll upload those. Oh, well, Ryan Ryan does.
1: probably needs him, too. <laughs> yeah, sure he does. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm sure he does.
0: All right, post game shows coming. The season is here. I'm excited. I really have no idea what to expect from this season. But no, uh, not at that's all. Makes it, that's a that's what makes it interesting. Not at all. That, you know, I thought Mike DeCorsi made a good point. He Scott interviewed him on Crimson Cast, and he was like. You know, because Scott was like, you know, there's a high ceiling, there's a low floor, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And Mike is basically like, look, I actually don't think the floor is that low. You don't assemble this much talent and not be able to win some games. So the floor is probably higher than people think. Now, whether they're able to get out of that, you know, mess in the middle of the Big Ten, but the worst fears are probably a little bit unfounded, barring injury. And I think Mike is right. You know, there is a lot of talent. And I think some nights – I have a feeling there will probably be four, five, six, seven postgame shows we come on here and it's like, boy, we did not play well. But it's a good thing we've got some five stars out there that can just go make plays when you need them. <laughs> you know? And sometimes that's what you need to win games. And we've been on the other side of that a lot. So I certainly won't apologize for it when it happens. But you know, it's going to be an interesting season, lots of ups and downs. But uh, I, I do think it'll make it interesting because I think the postgame shows will be different. Like this has been a program where the talking points after games are very limited because it's like, we're going to do one or two things and we're either going to do them well and win or not. We're going to lose. And then we have to come on the post game show and find different ways to talk about the same thing. And I feel like this year we're going to have a lot of different styles and games and guys stepping up and things happening. So that'll, that'll make it
1: interesting if nothing else.
2: For sure. For sure.
1: I I also think the guys coming back, are going to have a bigger impact than a lot of us have have thought too cuz we've gotten so wrapped up with the the portal and the and and the recruiting of Mbako M- is such a a big thing. Uh those those guys are going to contribute but but I think, you know, Galloway and X and you know, um Malik, those guys are really going to be you know, that's the difference between that one question a few weeks ago about 2014 when we had to replace everyone. Um, and we brought in some talent Vonley and that, but the difference is the guys coming back, I think are a lot better and and a lot better at leadership, uh, and understand, you know, CJ and Caleb, like those five guys that are coming back are a very, very good foundation to sprinkle then all this talent in that's, what's different than a lot of rebuilds, um, And and so, you know, we're relevant. Uh, How relevant is the question? We're we're relevant. It would be a shock not to be in the tournament for me. Um, It wouldn't be a shock to be an eight or nine seed. But, um, yeah. so Not going
0: to be an eight or nine seed anybody wants to play, that's for sure, with this amount of talent. All right, guys. Good show. Check us out on Substack, everybody. And uh, we will be back... Barring some kind of crazy, uh, unexpected recruiting announcement, we'll be back Sunday after the game. Coach and I will be here and we'll see if we can grab a third. See everybody. All
2: right. Peace. Good. See Andy. Talk to you guys later.